Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we're looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. Glorious, not lengthy? Yeah, I've been called worse. <laughs> Today we're talking about Minute 31, which begins with the meager might of Earth and ends with the other's concession. Pete, it is just you and me today talking about Minute 31. We're going to dig in and chat about The Other and Loki and Sanctuary and Space and <laughs> all sorts of things. What else will we talk about, Andy? Oh, <laughs> that seems I, like too much for us. So I, I don't This may be the longest episode we've had. I feel like, I feel like <laughs> this might be like two and a half hour commentary on the film. There are only seven lines in this movie, Andy. Let's see if we can undersell <laughs> that a little bit more. First off, you know, in, in the last minute, we were talking about the weird composition of the shot of Loki as he arrives in Sanctuary and the other standing in the distance behind a rock outcropping in a way where it looked like just the top half of his body. Yes. And then Loki's astral projection or whatever projection of himself appears in like his regal form with his, you know, outfit and everything. Right. And he looks like it, he makes the other look like a Jawa. Like the other all of a sudden looks like half of a Jawa. Like, really That's right. It's, a, it's a real Frodo Gandalf relationship they've got. That's it totally is. Yeah. Yeah. And then in this minute, right at the beginning, it was right at the end of the last minute, the beginning of this minute, it cuts to this alternate angle. And we see that this is where we can identify, oh, there's a rock outcropping there. I couldn't tell that from all this blue, uh, darkly lit scene in that other shot. But yes, there's a rock outcropping. And this is where the two of them have this conversation. This is such a cinematic tool. Let's have you two have a conversation while you're both walking in opposite directions, not looking at each other. Yes. Yes. Because they're doing the real, they're, they're like circling, right? This is a power move walk. You know, like yeah. you might you might see this in, I don't know, a Fast and the Furious movie, for example. I don't know. It just feels like a power move thing. And I, the, the question is, do you take any of it seriously? Because the last time we were here at this place with these people, you and I lampooned it pretty hard. Well, and here's the thing. It's so hard not to. Because, like, okay, the beginning of this minute, we have Loki walking right to left, the other walking left to right. The other, as he walks, moves farther and farther behind this out outcropping to the point where he's pretty much gone from behind this outcropping. It's like a Eventually. weird thing, like, <laughs> almost like, is he designing it in a way where if Loki turns around and he doesn't, and the other doesn't say anything, is Loki getting away? Where'd you go? Where Where'd are you, you go? Yeah, because he's about to do like the Marx Brothers, like walking downstairs bit, you know, like they do. <laughs> right. uh, that's that's kind of what I feel like he's about to do. Um, it's it's so silly. Like he hides in the rocks. It's a strange thing. Like, yeah. And he's so short that it just makes it look like this whole thing is weirdly intentional. So that we have this moment, because then it all boils down to this moment where Loki pushes him a little too far with what he's saying. You know, Loki uh, says, if your force is as formidable as you claim, 
And that gives the other this moment and, you know, for and a chance for Loki to clear the shot, right? Yeah. So that right. the camera can come around. And then we have this moment where the other leans into the rocket outcropping and kind of leans toward camera and has this, like, snarky response to Loki. You question us? You question him? <sighs> yeah. This, okay. I really, really enjoy what the writer is doing with the 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 conversations the 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 scenes we have between our protagonists so far between our team we're building we have had some fantastic conversations some witty banter some funny moments it's when we get to these moments with loki and the other standing here in this uh this weirdly very comic booky location that things i i end up really struggling with a lot of the moments with this film Yes, I, I think that's true. And you just said it really comic booky. I think the choices they made to ground the rest of this movie uh, were so good that it, it makes it a jarring transition to come to this place, right? To this floating place with stairs and everything like that. And I know we've seen it before. I know we've seen it before, but that doesn't make it easier to ground because it's in, it, it is in context of this incredibly grounded movie. Now, I don't know that I necessarily have a solution for what they would have done to ground this place and and make it feel like it would fit. Is there anything they could have done to put this into the context of, of the rest of the Avengers and have it satisfying to you? I mean, we had seen situations like this in Asgard, right? That's a great point. You spent a lot of time there. Yeah, and where they are, you know, looking out and it, looks like and and the way that asgard is designed when we see you know it's the it's the underside and then it flips over and we see oh it's a whole it's a whole uh city up here on the top side uh of this location where where we're filming this part of the part of the story but it's set up where these characters are gods yeah now it's it, you know they're they're deities in some aspect and a lot of it still doesn't make a ton of sense like when they right out to the rainbow bridge that bridge takes them farther and farther out where all the blue sky kind of fades away until it's just stars and nebula and uh, quasars and god only knows what other space things that so they wanted to throw things. out there yeah but we have this sense that they're kind of on the edge of things but it's okay because they're gods like that's kind of the sense that i got from that film and even at the very end of the film Again, it doesn't make a, a lick of sense, but we have them dangling off the edge of this broken rainbow bridge, and uh, Loki is holding on to Thor's arm, who's holding on to Odin, and then Loki is just like, screw this, I'm going to take my chances out in space, and let's go, and falls and drifts out into who knows where. Apparently, there's a wormhole, and he ends up in Sanctuary, but still, I guess he's a god, so it's okay, is kind of the way that this whole thing ends up playing out. and. This is this is where Marvel stories get very complicated because we end up gaining an understanding from the characters that these gods aren't actually gods. They're just beings of a different kind, a different race that live much longer, that have much healthier life expectancies like they're generally they, healthier cardiac their performance. Yeah, right. Very strong. <laughs> well, yeah. That uh, yeah, I've seen Thor: uh, Love and Thunder. Uh, Hemsworth's looking pretty healthy to me. <laughs> it, the whole thing is like they just have this um, idea that 
we might have seen them as gods when they came to Earth. And this is kind of how it's set up in Thor. Back in in uh, Norway, when they had come down long, long ago, we thought they were gods because they came down from the sky, because they could do these things that we couldn't. The film kind of sets it up as, you know what, they're not actually gods, they're just you know powerful beings. And now we get to these things where it's like, you know what, it doesn't really matter. If they're in space, it's all comic book superhero fantasy anyway. And so now, I, I guess, you know, when it comes to Infinity War, I end up having an easier time buying into that planet where they end up on where um, they're fighting Thanos toward the end of the film. And we have Iron Man and Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and Peter Quill, and they're all battling there because it seems a little bigger even though at the same time it kind of seems seems like an extension of this but here i mean it really feels like we're on an asteroid in space like it literally feels That's like exactly what it feels like yeah it, it just yeah. and i have such a hard time parsing that as a place that makes sense for beings to be and i guess i I end up having to write it off yeah that's exactly my place with it too that it it feels like such an add-on such an appendix an unnecessary location for this movie that is for the rest of the movie has a context that demands something um uh, something different and i think your your description of of how that stuff is used in thor is really right on because we already have the expectation that they're gods living in a fantasy location the rest of this movie takes place like in New Mexico, right? Like it's it's so grounded. <laughs> it's so very grounded in what we already know that I I think these just may and maybe it would be better if there was a bigger commitment to other spacey locations in this movie. Maybe if more of the movie was set in a bigger like more extravagant location, we would be okay with it because it it would not feel like a set of floating space stairs. And that's the thing. It's comical every time I see it. That doesn't help loki's case right well and i guess it's easy to forgive loki because for i mean i know he was there but from our sense of where he is right now he still is on earth he's just kind of astrally projecting himself here so i mean there's a little flexibility there but still i guess what i'm thinking of is the substance of his character right like it's more about the substance of who he is that i think is it becomes like the degree to which we're able to take him seriously is the degree to which we are okay with the fact that occasionally he zaps to this space floating stairs thing and puts on the big horns and it all just looks so comic booky so fast it's a hard left turn from what he's doing which is acting as an overlord and mind control agent for humans in an underground bunker with lots of wires and cables and things which is as grounded as you get. <laughs> right, right. It's, it is tricky, and I, I struggle with it. And, I mean, Thanos is clearly hanging out here, too. The other who, uh, interestingly, is actually scripted as a Chitari, although it's not mentioned as such in the wiki. So it makes me wonder, was he meant to be a Chitari? Because he doesn't quite seem Chitari-ish. He's talking. He doesn't have the same face structure. He's got that weird sixth finger, that extra thumb. I, I just want to call him Count Ruga. Oh, I dig uh, that finger. You bet I do. <laughs> Glorious, not lengthy. That, was that weird? Did I make it weird just now? It just a little <laughs> weird. I'm going to put in a really long pause there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I guess... Um, I, the space stuff is what it is. You know, I guess we just have to accept it. 
The problem I guess I end up really having with this scene is it's is it's dark, it's weirdly lit in ways where, like we were just talking about in the last minute, how why does the other look like it's just half of a body floating here? Until this shot when we go, oh, there's a rock there. It's like, I couldn't see a rock in the last shot. Why does it look so strange? I don't understand that. Then we have this moment here um, where as, as they're talking, like Loki is standing and there's like clearly a big red planet behind him at one point. And I'm like, how close are they to other things? Like, you know, are they actually in orbit around this planet? You know, might they fall into this planet? Like exactly what's going on here? I don't I don't have a good sense. And then I mean, actually, that's one planet. But then exactly on the opposite side, as we're looking at the other, there's another planet there. So maybe it's just in this gravitational battle between these two planets. And that's why it all just floats here so perfectly. Feels very astronomical or astrologically dangerous. It's fragile. Everything's very fragile. Yeah, very strange. Very strange. One of the lines in here that the other drops, I'm curious your take on it. He who put the scepter in your hand. Mm -hmm. Is that a metaphorical putting the scepter in your hand? Because, I mean, I'll tell you, the hand at the beginning putting the scepter into Loki's hand does not look like Thanos. No, it was the other, right? Like, that's who I, it was the other. Did we see the extra finger? I don't know that we saw the extra finger. That's what I was about to say. It's like, I I need to go back and check now because we definitely don't see big purple arms. It looked like blue arms, which made me think that it was a Chitauri? the other. But now I'm, uh, now I'm going back to that minute. You're doing it right want, now. You're doing a little real time. I'm doing a little right real time now. scrub. You know, it's lit in such a way and the scepter is positioned in such a way where uh, it's just a five-handed, yeah, because I was like, the scepter's covering up if there's a sixth finger, but then when he pulls it away, it is somebody with five hands, or five hands. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually somebody with six fingers, and each finger has a hand on it. It's amazing. (laughs) It's a a blooming onion of fingers and hands here in this minute. No, it is just a five-fingered man, so it does not count Rugen passing the scepter to Loki. (laughs) Okay. Good. I guess that's good to know. But it, it, yeah, so it's definitely a metaphorical passing of the scepter, though. Yes. Right? Because it's like, it clearly does not in any way feel like big purple arms. I mean, I've seen Thanos in later movies. He's pretty big and his arms are pretty purple. Does not look anything, anything like what we are seeing here. No. So yeah, it doesn't look, yeah, it doesn't look like the other's arms. You're right. So that line then specifically. He who say, say it again. He who he who put the scepter in your hand, who gave you ancient knowledge and new purpose when you were cast out, defeated. So you question us. You question him. He who put the scepter in your hand. Yeah, I mean, I I guess it's uh, I guess it it reads as kind of a weird battle of wills, especially since the other is acting only as a messenger for Thanos at this point. Right, right. Uh, I don't know. I guess I don't mind it because we do get the we do get the the more important angle is the res- is the of the call is the response, and that's Loki's, which is I was king, and I think this drives his motivation right here for doing all of this, for getting into this this misbegotten uh, arrangement with the Chitari and with uh, you know Thanos. My assumption is, uh, um, well, I'll finish this thought. Um, that he is motivated to do this as a way to turn the shiv on Thor, on Asgard, on his relationship with them. Like, he's the evildoer now. He's the he's the family member that has fallen from grace. And he's going to get to be king. 
And he, yeah, he'll and he's going to get to be king. Midgard. Right? Yep. Yep. Question for you, though. At this point, it reads as if Loki knows he's dealing with Thanos. Is that your read on it? Yeah, I thought it. It feels like he knows, and you know, it's a it's a, it's a good question. I mean, obviously. I, I feel like he must know because the way that the other is talking, you know, you question him. Yeah. Right. It's like there's this big thing as to like this other being that we're not talking about now, but he's somebody that we're all kind of hinting at here in this film. It very much feels like they're kind of uh, hinting at the fact that that it is Thanos. But yeah, it's I, I guess there are still questions about that and questions about what Loki knows of him and if Loki is actually willing to kind of betray him or if he thinks he can get away with anything, you know? Yeah, that that is, I think, my central question at this point in their relationship is, does he think less of Thanos than he should be thinking of Thanos? Does he, he, uh, my, my hunch is we are supposed to believe that Loki does, might know that it's Thanos he's dealing with, but does not know of Thanos's ultimate objective. And that's why he's okay going into this sort of devil's bargain. Yeah, and and I think to a certain extent, this whole conversation really wipes out any possible thinking that there was a chance that um, the other and or Thanos were ha- had put Loki under some sort of mind control. I know we've talked about that in past minutes about how that was kind of in one of the uh, one thing on the wiki as far as how they were kind of getting him to do these things. And we thought, well, maybe that makes sense then why they're letting him take this infinity stone in a scepter to go to earth, to get this other infinity stone for them. But the way that it reads, Loki is in control of himself and is perfectly fine having these, this animosity with the other and kind of these conversations where they're a little bit at odds, even though they're both kind of agreeing to, you know, go through the process of this whole yes. attack. Agreed. So I don't know. It's, it all boils down to the fact, I suppose that they were trying to cover up that Thanos is the actual bad guy. And we don't get that reveal till the very end of this. And so this whole thing feels like, we're dancing around a setup that we want to hint at over the course of this film, but we aren't necessarily going to give you all the pieces until the very end. And sometimes it makes it feel like, does it take away some of Loki's agency when it seems like he's just answering to somebody else? Yeah. And and this this is a chance, maybe, for us to see that Loki, while we we believe he's answering to somebody else because of the weird pre pre-credits thing <laughs> that we saw... Uh, the beginning of the movie, the pre-movie movie, um, that actually Loki has more agency than we than we expect. I was a king. Like, I'm. this is what I'm going to, this is, I'm using you to get what I want. So at this point, to our inexperienced eyes, uh, he's in control. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. It's, the whole thing plays really interesting. I mean, there's definitely some lines I still want to talk about, but there's a shot in here as these two uh, people are kind of moving around and having this conversation where um, Loki walks a little bit away and he glances to his right and to this weird vertebra-looking staircase, right? He looks at the staircase, and we cut to it. We cut to this staircase, and the camera kind of tilts up to reveal it spiraling up and away. And then it cuts to, and then the the other, that's when um, 
Loki ends up delivering his line that really pisses the um because that's when he says you don't have the tesseract yet which you know pisses the other off and the other reveals that he can run really fast as he zips over to him it's a weird shot because we're getting again this weird staircase in space and i guess again this is another hint that hey there is this other person that we're also dealing with these moments play throughout these scenes with these two that just feel like i feel like they were trying to hide a lot of this detail in ways where like and i don't know maybe it's just the shot construction where i, I really struggle it's like because for a while i'm like why are we getting this shot of the staircase suddenly like it's just cut yeah. to randomly and i guess yeah i mean loki looks at it but it's just i don't know the whole thing feels constructed like very scripted in a way to just kind of deliver us these points. Like we got to make sure we're mentioning that there's this other person who's leading them. I mean, I don't know. Is, does it all end up feeling clunky to you? Well, yeah, but I, you know, I don't, I don't know that I can say any more than we've already said about that particular clunkiness. I do think it's interesting once again, and part of, part of why I think it's, you know, we're leaning in on the clunky part is this line in particular, you don't have the Tesseract yet. But this goes back to the potential confusion of the blue pew-pew-goo energy that is both now in the spear and the thing that they're looking for, and how confused it feels to me that, you know, there is a part of me that still thinks they misunderstand what is in Loki's scepter. Yeah. It's just, it's just messy. It's just messy. And maybe it's as easy as just, like, why didn't they recolor some stuff? Well, and when you say they misunderstand, you're talking about the filmmakers, not necessarily yes. uh, the other and Thanos. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that is an issue, and it's going to perpetually be a struggle with yeah. this, uh, because it just feels so strange that um, they chose to do this. Knowing that it's, I mean, they obviously are building a story with Thanos. They're obviously including this stone in this scepter and eventually are going to have to change its color. It's like they obviously knew that, but it's, I feel like they chose to go blue because they very specifically needed to do this whole thing with the Tesseract and opening this doorway through space so that Loki could come through at the start of the film. And so I'm guessing they felt, you know what, let's make it blue on both ends because it will make the audience feel like, oh, there's some connection with the blue that's going to allow things to open up and pull him through. Yeah, I, I mean, I, get, I, I, I think you're right. I, I think you're right. But I do think they introduced Thanos they knew where by this point in phase one and the phase one through, you know, three, four, whatever, they knew in the Infinity Saga that this is where they were going. And I think it was a short-sighted production choice to do that on the effects side rather than recolor to actually allow us to put some pieces together that right now we can't. Well, OK, so now here's an interesting question that I want to pose to you. I have not heard any talk of this but would you be open to the marvel company opening up the can to all of these past films oh, and God, doing what are you... kind of what george oh. lucas did and going through and fixing little things like that like okay let's go into the avengers and ultron and any film where the scepter is and we are going to now make it yellow yeah 
Andy, that Am is, I opening a, a bad can of worms? I feel like you just outed yourself as, uh, <laughs> as a Luke head. And uh, I, 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 I worry about what that's going to do to your reputation until you come out hard against it. Right. Like, do you, and they do, could what do you think? The whole beginning where Eric was <laughs> like, yes, my master has returned. <laughs> I just want that shot in here so badly. Or just just have have uh, uh, Stellan Skarsgård just ADR a line. We don't even need yeah. to shoot it again. Just throw it in there randomly right. while we're right. looking at something else. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. But it go, uh, it does go to the question for you. What do you think about that? Do you think that's an appropriate thing to do? I get that at the time they were probably trying to find ways to just make the story a little more clean for audiences. I don't it, like if it's small fixes like that. I mean, you know, many filmmakers have gone back after the fact to tweak their films. I mean, Michael Mann has gone in and he loves playing with films. There's plenty of films out there that are director's cuts. Why is this a particular franchise that has has never gone in to do director's cuts of any kind? Like, wouldn't it be interesting to, for example, this film, give it a little extra padding, flesh out some of those Captain America sequences where we get a little more backstory of the character, you know, things like that, that, that could allow for a little more story. And I don't know where the thinking is with that, um, but I'm always open to it. But here's the caveat that I always throw out with these sorts of things always keep the other version available. And that's, I think, one of the things that, you know, we talked about the original Star Wars trilogy over on the next reel, and we looked at the Harmy special edition because we wanted to talk about the films as they, as close to what they originally looked like at the time of their release. Right. And I think that's something that I don't understand why Lucas and now Disney, they won't release those original versions of the Star Wars trilogy because it's like, give people that chance to have that and then still keep these other ones out there. Like, yeah, there's no issue with changing it. I don't find any issue with that as long as you keep the original available. I think that's the I think that's the the trick. I guess I with regard to this movie, we've come up with a few things that we would like to have fixed. Uh, some of them are irrational. <laughs> no, it's going to be fixed. And the stuff like the color of the of the scepter might be too small of a fix. And I worry about, especially as in, in, you know, intertwined as this, this movie is to the overall infinity saga that starting to muck around on, on too much is, is, you know, pushing over one too many dominoes. I don't, I don't actually mind this movie. This isn't a movie that demands significant recuts, but it's, but when we run into these kinds of choices, it's puzzling. It's just puzzling. I don't, I don't get it. I don't love it, but, uh, and and I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily good for the Infinity Saga to start with something that's so confusing and has to be explained later. But I don't know that this is the thing that's going to push over the edge to say, oh, we need a director's cut. I would be OK with them doing that just because it does feel like some of these early stories, they hadn't quite figured things out and they were making choices probably a little more haphazardly because they're like, oh, you know, we'll figure that out down the road. And then they kind of come back and it's like, oh, yeah, we never really did kind of deal with that color change with the scepter or whatever the case may be. But uh, it's just one of those things. It's it can be a little frustrating, but it is. Yeah, no, I get it. What do you get? OK, two two questions regarding a couple lines. The other says to Loki, he when he's talking about Thanos, he says, he who put the scepter in your hand, who gave you ancient knowledge and new purpose. I mean, we know what the new purpose is, but what's, do you have, is, did ancient knowledge ever come up in any, no, anything? I have no idea what ancient knowledge is. None. 
What is I was just trying to figure. I don't know. I was trying to figure out: is there something in the Loki TV show about something that happened with Loki where he just seems to know more than he had? And what? I don't know. I don't. I know. I'm just guessing. I, I can't remember. I'm just. I'm speculating. Is there something somewhere? I guess we'll have to let our um, listeners tell us if there's something that we're forgetting that showed some form of ancient knowledge. Because otherwise, it just feels like a scripted line to throw in here. It sure does. Uh, that is a really confusing thing you just planted there. I, we, do we have to go watch all of Loki again? Maybe we do. <laughs> uh, just, I don't know. I just am so curious. Like, what does that line mean? Yeah. And then wow. the other line that piques my curiosity, again, spoken by the other, when he, which I love after Loki's complaining about not getting to be king anymore. Wah, and the other's <laughs> like, your ambition is little full of childish need. Uh, just like that's a right. great dig but then what he says we look beyond the earth to greater worlds the tesseract will unveil okay now it never unveils greater worlds i mean i i guess it does to a certain extent like obviously when red skull grabs it in the last film it like opens up space and he gets blue beamed out of there mm-hmm. but we don't know is that a greater world i was i was trying to figure out like is there some capacity where they they intend to use the Tesseract to find a particular place? And I was like, God, it would have been nice to see them using that in some way to, like, find Vormir or something. So. Yeah, right? Uh, that's actually really an, a really interesting uh, note. It, it feels like a thing that they didn't... It feels like a thing they didn't finish. But again, it could also just be a thing that didn't, didn't play for the story and just plays for awesome lines. But they're awesome, but also, I, I can't help but feel like I really just don't like the other. Like, this character, I think, has so many lines that I just end up getting frustrated with. His look, like, the whole element of him in this story is designed just to shadow uh, or put shadow over Thanos. And I can't help but feel like I wish the other had been written better so that I actually found him to be a more interesting character. Like Ebony Ma and some of the other characters helping Thanos that we meet later in the franchise. Yeah, I don't I, I don't disagree. I, it's just yet another example of of we need a minion. We need a minion and this is the one, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty much what we get. We get this uh, odd minion who at the end concedes to Thanos or uh, concedes to Loki and that's the end of our minute. Um, yeah, it's not my favorite minute of the film, but it certainly is an interesting one to talk about because I think it opens a lot of um, conversational holes that take us in all sorts of different directions, as we saw in this minute. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, uh, let's wrap it up. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about minute 32. We'll finish this up and, uh, you know, we'll get to talk a little bit more about, you know, I don't know, maybe a helicarrier or something. I guess we'll oh, helicarrier. <laughs> Do go on. <laughs> All right. Well, um, that's it. Remember, you can go to marvelmovieminute.com. You can uh, find our socials there. You can learn about memberships. You can get access to member or access to episodes early, ad free, uh, plus hiatus episodes that we release between seasons. All that good stuff. So that's it. So Pete, thanks as always. You will have your cake, podcaster. Until next time, true believers.
Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show.